This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. Here, Reggie explores the roots of somatic meditation in ancient India. He says that the history of Buddhism was mostly written by monastics and reflects a renunciation approach to spirituality. However, there is a more unknown history of practice exemplified by lay people known as siddhas. This excerpt is from a talk given in Your Breathing Body, Volume 2, Advanced Practices for Physical, Emotional, and Spiritual Fulfillment, an audio course produced by Sounds True. It is available for download in the dharmaocean.org online store. The somatic practices and the basic point of view and the perspective that I'm teaching you is an expression of an ancient lineage that goes back into Tibet and then back into India. I want to talk to you a little bit about this lineage, what its character is, and where it comes from. This is a Buddhist lineage in some sense, and so it makes sense for us to look back at where it fits in with the beginnings and the development of Buddhism in India, where Buddhism originated and where most of its major schools were initially founded. Buddhism initially developed as a tradition of renunciation, meaning that the Buddha himself left his ordinary life as the prince in a royal family destined to be king, and he went into the jungle by himself He meditated and achieved realization. In the very beginning, most of his important students were renunciates, people who in a similar way had left the household life, left their potential destiny as householders with jobs and children and all of the cares of being a layperson in the world, and they followed him into the jungle, and they practiced as he did, in separation from the ordinary life of most people in India. In the first number of centuries of Buddhist history, Buddhism remained a renunciate tradition. It developed two major kinds of renunciation. One was the way of life the Buddha himself had followed, which was to enter into the wilds of northern India to practice on one's own or in small communities and to carry on the teachings in that way. The other major renunciate option was to live in a monastery. In the same way, you had to leave the world, you had to give up the option of marriage, children, families, job and spend your life as a monastic person, practicing celibacy, living within the monastic community, either male or female, 
and they were separate, and making progress in that way. However, it appears from the very beginning of Buddhism, there was another option for spiritual practice at a very high level. We don't know very much about the people who followed this other option because the history books were written by the retreatants in the forest and even more so by the monastic people. They really talked about their own life and their own way of doing things, their own renunciate kind of spirituality. We find no mention of this other option. But around the first or second or third century of the Common Era, we find another kind of Buddhist that's turning up. Very, very interesting, very shocking in some sense, very provocative. These were people who were lay people, meaning they were neither lifelong yogis in the forest, nor were they monastic people living in the monasteries. They were lay people, but they were lay people who claimed that they were following a tradition that went back to the time of the Buddha and in some respects was more advanced and more profound than any of the more visible Buddhist styles of meditation, the monastic or the purely yogic. These people were called siddhas, which means realized person. Siddha is a person who has known to have attained full perfection in this life, full realization, complete fulfillment. The tradition they followed is called Vajrayana Buddhism. Vajra means indestructible, Yana means path. They followed the indestructible path. Indestructible because of the power of transformation that this path brought about. Who were these people? What did they do? What was their practice? Fundamentally speaking, these people looked at the relative world in a completely different way from earlier Buddhists. For earlier Buddhists, the goal of practice was generally to realize the non-existence of the personal ego, of the self, and then, at a more advanced level, to realize that all of the projections that we have toward the world, all of our ideas and concepts about reality are empty, 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 empty. And the goal of practice was to abide in the emptiness, as they said, of all phenomena. For the Vajrayana Siddhas, these two levels of realization were very, very important, of course. Initially to realize that the person we hold to be so dear, the idea of me, myself, I, mine, that these are just concepts that come and go and that fundamentally there's nothing behind it, there's no reality corresponding to the so-called solid self. And also the experience of the vastness of the emptiness 
of all things, knowing that wherever we look and whatever we touch, the fundamental reality is that it's empty of any idea we have of it. The experience of emptiness is profound. As we've seen in this program, it's the experience of the ultimate nature of our own state of being. So the Vajrayana Siddhas deeply explored the non-existence of the I and the emptiness of all our projections. Like all other Buddhists in all times and places, they said that the conventional world, the world where we try to be happy, where we struggle with reality, where we try to fulfill our dreams, our expectations, that world holds nothing for us. It's empty and void, like a mirage in the desert. But they noticed something else, something very important. These practitioners who lived ordinary lives in all the places in North India and increasingly South India, who were representatives of castes at all different levels, including outcasts and untouchables, these people who practiced a great deal, who meditated within family life in their daily routine, also spent a great deal of time in retreat. They all developed through some kind of combination of ordinary life in the world and life in retreat. When you live permanently in the forest or permanently in a monastery, you have a kind of stereotype version of what ordinary life is. You can come to the conclusion that it holds nothing for you at all on any level. But when you're mixing meditation and ordinary life, they play back and forth. The meditation helps you continually take a fresh view of the ordinary realities of birth and death, of love, of life, of work, and the ordinary realities of the world raise profound questions for you about where you may be holding on in your spiritual life and ultimately in your meditation. The Vajrayana Siddhas, these people who are our forebears, our ancestors, our lineage, insisted that the highest form of spiritual practice is one that occurs living in the world and combining it with deep, sustained, and occasionally intensive meditation. These were the people who taught about embodiment. For the other Buddhist traditions, the ones that preceded them, there was often the feeling that the human body is despicable, that the larger body of the world, of other people, and the cosmos is to be rejected. That spirituality lies in the direction of moving further and further and further away from the world 
and its experience. From the point of view of the siddhas and the discoveries they made on their path as lay people, this may yield results in the short term. But in the long term, something absolutely essential and basic about the spiritual path is being lost sight of. For them, matter, the earth, the human body, sexuality, relationships, feminine values, families, the strain and struggle of a work life, the difficulties and frustrations of living in society with other people are themselves at the very essence of the spiritual path. When we look at all of these things from the viewpoint of ego, they're all problematic. They all cause difficulties. If we become refined spiritual people, if we begin to realize there are alternatives and we look back at all of these things, we may feel that they're all part of samsara, that they're inherently depraved and lost. But from the viewpoint of the siddhas, to take that attitude towards ordinary experience and life in the world is to set up a spiritual ego that is separationist, that is judgmental, and that is turning away from the very things that can liberate us. Sometimes we say in the Vajrayana that the purpose of this tradition is to redeem matter, to redeem the earth, to redeem the human body, to redeem all the aspects of ordinary life. But in truth, we're not really redeeming them through this tradition. What we're doing is discovering that they were never lost in the first place. The more the Vajrayana Siddhas lived life to its fullest, spent time in retreat, returned to ordinary life, meditated as they could, studied with their teachers, the more they began to realize that it is in the most ordinary and basic and fundamental parts of life that the deepest spiritual possibilities and lessons and transformation are possible. To download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org.
Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion. <laughs>